Today, I'm talking about how to perform heart surgery because we need some heart surgery. People are hurting. I was thinking about the New Year's resolutions that we make. Most of us, you know, the number one New Year's resolution is diet. And for those that had enough discipline to actually do it, you can go to the beach and the swimming pool and have a good time. But most of us, we don't make it that far. You know, we maybe lose weight for that first month and then we gain it all back and maybe even more by the second month. But it's interesting how you can have two people with the same goals, the same intentions, the same desires that really want to see something come about, but the disciplined person actually somehow has the ability to do it. They somehow have that ability to stick with their goals and hang in there and make sure it happens. But for the rest of us, we're kind of like drifters. We love it. We want to do that. But somewhere along the way, we just kind of drift away from those goals. We drift away from those intentions that we had. So we're either disciplined or we're what we call a drifter. Today, I'm going to be talking about the heart. I think the heart has something to do with that sometimes. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you were to look in a concordance and you look up the word heart, I mean hundreds of times that word is used. And it's usually not referring to the organ, of course. But the Bible uses that word heart to refer to who you are on the inside. Where's your heart? Who are you? In Mark 12, 28 through 31, Jesus says, one of the teachers of religion asked, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, The one that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only God. And you must love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's saying love him with everything you are, but it uses the word heart. The second is this. You must love others as much as yourself. No other commandments are as great as these. Circle that. Love him with all your heart, or underline that. Love him with all your heart. The heart, the physical organ, is a great description of the heart, because obviously you can't have life without your heart. And, you know, your heart pumps your blood to your whole body. It gives your body what it needs. It's a good description. And your heart, your heart, who you are, you know, it's... Just as important to your spiritual life as your physical heart is to your physical life. That's why I think God uses that as an example. God is much more concerned, actually. And this is good for me since I'm the one that doesn't always keep my New Year's losing weight resolutions. Um, the, God is more concerned about your heart, of who you are, than he is the health of your real heart. You know, the health of your real heart is very important. Come on, you want to have a healthy heart. Nobody wants to have an unhealthy heart. And yet, your heart of who you are as a person is more important to God than that. When you read the Bible, it gives us clear pictures about what comes out of the heart. It talks about how our heart reflects our desires. Your heart reflects your intentions. Your heart reflects where your faith is. Your heart reflects your behavior your words, your will. If you were to do a heart examination on the heart of who you are, you'd want to come out having a healthy heart. And maybe you do. Maybe if God were to say, let me test your heart. 
it'd come out healthy. With what I'm going to talk about today, if you have a healthy heart, then I hope it gives you some ideas of how to maintain that. But maybe if God did a heart examination on you, maybe your heart is unhealthy. Maybe your heart is unhealthy. That's a major... There's nothing more dangerous to your life, your physical life, than having an unhealthy heart. There's nothing more dangerous to your spiritual life than having an unhealthy spiritual heart. So you want to be healthy. And if, you, and if your heart isn't healthy, you want to see it. The, the Bible describes in several, several different points an unhealthy heart. But the one it uses the most is the word a hardened heart. When your heart gets hardened toward God. When I was a new Christian, I was excited. I, I can remember, I was only 14 years old. One of the first things I wanted to do is read through the whole Bible as a 14-year-old. Because I, I gave my life to God. This was, this was something new for me. I'm going for God. I was excited. Uh, I saw it as a joy to learn more things, to go to church and absorb what I was learning in mostly my youth group. And there was a, you know, it, it was a major thing in my life. Now, you would think, now that I'm a pastor, how much more so must I be excited about studying Scripture? You would think. But I'm going to tell you what happens. When you're reading the Bible because you're excited, not because you have to, but because you're excited, you pick and choose you know, the things that you want to read, and you're learning this, and you're learning that. But then you become a pastor, and it becomes a 40 to 50 hour a week job, you know. So a lot of times you're studying and putting things together when you're tired because you have to get the job done. Or when you have so many other things swamping on your schedule, and you're trying to fit that in. And your time with God and reading scriptures becomes work. And what happens is you lose that excitement. You think if anybody's going to be excited about reading the Bible, it must be a pastor. Pastors usually are when they start. <laughs> but you can lose your excitement because something that was a gift from God becomes work. And you know what work is. Once it becomes work, you have to do it when you don't feel like it. And it sometimes zaps that excitement. And your heart as a pastor can become hard toward God's word. Well, you don't feel interested in reading the Bible that day. You don't feel interested in hearing a sermon on the radio by somebody else. And so you're driving down, no, let me put it on a rock station. I, the last thing I feel like hearing is a sermon. Now, I'm telling you, the sermon's going to help my life way more than the rock station. But that's what can happen. I'm just telling you this to say, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, your heart can get hard toward God. Even a pastor his heart can be hard toward God, maybe because he's a pastor. One of the things that when I started off in the ministry, a pastor shared with me, if you want to be successful in life, in ministry, you have to be thick-skinned and tender-hearted, not thin-skinned and hard-hearted. As the years have gone by, that stuck with me, and nothing could be more true and this is just as a person in life. You've got to have thick skin. You can't be thin-skinned. If you're thin-skinned, you can be hurt, easily hurt again, hurt again. I won't talk to them anymore. I'm not going to be their friends anymore. 
People have to walk on eggshells around you because you're thin-skinned, you're easily hurt. If you want to be successful in life, you have to be thick-skinned. You have to allow people to criticize you, and you've just got to just let it not bother you. If you're not thick-skinned, you're going to be crunched by this world. You would think, well, you're a pastor. It probably doesn't happen that way. It happens even more in churches because people are here on a volunteer basis. You know, like if you're a boss at work, you give someone a paycheck, they have to be there. They have to act like they like you. <laughs> but as a pastor, if they don't like you, they can let you know, and, and they show it by their feet where they, where, where they go. And you can get hurt a lot because you can be pouring love into somebody, but they want you to do things a certain way that you know that's not the best thing for the church. And it would cater to that individual, but it wouldn't be right. And they get offended because somehow they think that the pastor should be able to cater to their whim without considering everybody else. And they get offended and they go up. And not only that, these are people that you love, and then they talk bad about you. So even if you're a pastor, maybe as a pastor it can be even more. If you're leading a ministry where the people around you are volunteer, you'll experience the same thing. You're going to pour love into them, but somebody in that group is not going to like the way you're doing it. And you're trying to do what's best for the whole group as a whole. You've got the bigger vision. That's why you're leading that ministry. So you're going for it. Someone's not going to like it. They're going to get offended. They're going to talk bad about you and go off somewhere. That's the life. That's the way that people are. So you have to be thick-skinned. But the problem with that is we can be thick-skinned and hard-hearted. We can be thick-skinned and have a hard, angry heart to them, and I'm not going to get hurt. But that's not what I'm saying. Being thick-skinned but tender-hearted. You just let it bounce off you. Okay, I'm just not going to let what they say bother me. And I'm going to still love them. And I'm going to still love people. Keep that tender heart. It's not easy. It's very easy to be thin-skinned and hard-hearted. Get easily hurt and my heart, is, my heart becomes hard toward you. And probably soon my heart will be hard toward God. I want us to understand today how to prevent myself from being thin-skinned and hard-hearted. How can we prevent that from being our life? What can we do to, to really keep the tender heart that God wants us to have? Here's some symptoms of a hardened heart. There's more than these. You can probably think of others. And I'll share some things that you say, oh, I've done that before. Just because you've visited these doesn't mean that you have a hardened heart. It just means you're human. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to get stuck in there. If you don't visit these things now, then it's probably because you don't have feelings at all, and that's not normal. But you're going to say, oh, yeah, I can see that tendency. Oh, I can see that. But make sure that you never get there where, where that becomes what you're characterized as being. So here's a symptom of a hardened heart. Someone has their heart is hardening when they're complaining all the time. Now, don't nudge your spouse and say, hey, that's you. You know, don't do anything like that. Uh, but focus on yourself. Am I someone that complains all the time? Because that sets you up for a hardened heart. Because usually, the way God works in your life, the things you complain about the most never change. So what happens? You're complaining because it bothers you, right? It doesn't change. It could be in your marriage, right? It doesn't change. So now your heart is getting harder toward your spouse. You complain about something at church. It doesn't change. Now your heart is getting harder for the church. You complain to God about something in life, nothing changes. Now your heart is getting harder toward God. When you're a complainer, 
That's a sign. That's one of the avenues that if you don't watch it, you'll get a hard heart. You notice that when the people in Israel were traveling around, the number one thing that they got in trouble for is grumbling. They were complaining. And that's what led them to a hard heart toward God. So what you want to ask yourself is, am I a complainer? And if you know you are, then you really, ooh, I've got to change. This is not the direction I'm going to be because I, I'm not going to have a hard heart for God. I'm going to have a tender heart. Also, the next C, all of these are C's, compares with arrogance. When you compare yourself with other people with arrogance, your heart will start to harden. Why did she get that promotion? I'm better at that than her. What does that do? Bitterness toward their achievements. Whether it was fair or not, bitterness toward their achievements, your heart starts to harden toward that person because of jealousy or because of injustice because maybe you did deserve the promotion. Maybe she didn't. doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. That's how you start having a hard heart. Once you start comparing and feeling like I'm better than them, it should have been me and not them, why did they get that break? Why did they get that job? Why did they get this? Why did they get that instead of me? Your heart will get hard, and it will start to ruin your life. The next C is criticizing other people's, their styles, their personality, their successes. Your heart will start getting hard when you can't accept other people the way they are. Most men, we marry our opposites in personality. Most women, you marry your opposites in personality. 70% of all marriages, you marry your opposite. Here's the tendency is to think, my personality's right. You need to change to conform to my image. And that's what we do. We expect that person to change because somehow in our mind, the way I think is normal. My strengths are normal. My, my, my weaknesses are only human, but your weaknesses are not human. You know, because I would never do that. Because, you know, everybody has their different weaknesses. We all have different per- personalities. Once you start criticizing other personalities, other people's successes, other people's styles of doing things, that's when you're going to start having a hard heart toward people, toward God. You lose your love. The next thing is callous toward God's work. When you reach a point where God is doing things and it doesn't excite you anymore, that means your heart is already hard, okay? God is doing things like you see someone's life dramatically turned around because of a relationship with God, and you don't really care. You just think, oh, I don't care. I hope he doesn't tell me too much more. I can't wait till I get out of here. I need to go home. Like you lose your excitement for what God's doing in the world around you. If you have a calloused heart toward God's work, toward, you know, maybe a, a church is doing something amazing and, you, and it's astounding, and you, but you don't really care because you, you have a calloused heart toward God's work. You know, I don't care what God's doing in the world. Your heart is already hardened at that point. But a lot of people say, I think that's how I am. Maybe my heart is already hardened. And you want to think like, Man, if I hear that, you know, something is happening in a church, let's say, down the street, and something amazing happened for the good, my heart should leap for joy as if I was a member of that church. Why? Because it's what God is doing. It's what God is doing. That should make you excited. 
If you have a callousness toward God's work, then uh, your heart is probably already hardened. And you want to work on that. You have to say, whoa, how did I get here? I should be excited. Now, talking about the previous one, criticizing other people's personalities. Let me say this. If you're mellow, you're going to now be mellow happy about what happened over there. If you're animated, you're now going to be animated happy about what happened over there. This is important for you to understand. If, you're, if God created you mellow, you're not going to express your excitement in the way that the animated person does. I'm not talking about personality differences. I'm talking about the heart. My heart is callous toward, like, I hear something great that God did down the street, and in my heart, I'm thinking, wow, that's really good. Even if I'm more mellow in how I, my persona, while somebody else might be jumping up and down. I'm not saying you have to act like other people. I'm saying your heart has to be happy about what you hear. If you're callous toward what God's doing in the world, that's a major, major problem. The next C is compromises. You start to compromise your morals and your ethics and your values. That's a sign that your heart is getting hardened. Like, you just lied a little bit. That's the beginning down that road toward a calloused heart. Because when you lie a little bit, then you can lie a little bit more and lie a little bit more. And soon you reach a point that you can lie and it doesn't even bother you. Hard heart. Something that should bother you doesn't. But you didn't get there overnight. You just slowly got there, slowly got there. You still a little bit work. Then you still a little bit more and still a little bit more. And soon your heart gets hard or something that you thought was so bad, now you're doing. I heard a story about this guy. He's a youth, youth pastor. And he hangs out at this Taco Bell because it's next to the high school. And it's the easiest way, like if he's meeting people after school, he doesn't say meet me at the church. He just goes to the Taco Bell next to the high school and he'll meet kids there for whatever they're doing, a planning meeting for something coming up and stuff. So he meets this one kid over there and the kid comes into Taco Bell and pulls an old Taco Bell cup out of his bag. It was actually a woman, a, a girl, out of her backpack and goes and gets a free drink <laughs> because she's got the Taco Bell cup. And then he sees that and says, hey, you didn't pay for that, did you? Then she said, no, that's why I keep the cup. If you have the cup, they never know. And then you can just keep going. Every time I come here, I get free drinks. Then he said, well, isn't that stealing? And she said, no, I'm saving money for this summer's church camp. <laughs> you start to justify it. You even say, I'm stealing for God. Don't you get it? I'm stealing for God. So what happens is that's heading down a road of a callous, I mean, of a hard heart. You know, it sounds like, you know, a little bit here and here, but it's not the right direction. The next C is can't. Can't focus on worship. You don't have that ability because your heart is hardened toward God. You can't worship God. You can't enjoy God's presence. You can't enjoy singing a song about God's goodness. You might be able to go drive home in your car and sing a love song that's on the radio and not be able to go to church and sing a love song to God. That's a hardened heart. That's a sign of, whoa, 
What's wrong with me? Why can I sing a song, a love song, but not to God? What's wrong with my relationship with God? Why don't I have that ability to sing to Him and to praise Him? So if you can't worship, you know, okay, there's something wrong here in my heart. The next one is, uh, the next C is chaotic with time. When you get so busy with such a busy schedule going here and there and here and there and here and there that you don't have time for God, your heart is going to get hardened toward God. If you don't have time for God, if you're just chaotic with your life because you're not spending time with God and your heart gets harder. You know the saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder. It's actually the complete opposite. It's actually the complete opposite. If the least amount of time, for example, that you spend with your husband or wife and the least amount of time that you have together, the, the more apt you are to grow apart because absence does not make the heart grow fonder. Absence makes you think of them less and less. Maybe the first week, you see what I'm saying? Maybe the first week you think, oh, I miss him, I miss him. But absence does not enhance the relationship. Over time, it can harden your heart toward that person. Like you don't have those loving feelings that you used to just because you don't spend time with them. You start spending time with them, the love can come back. So same way with God. You have to have time with him. The next C is concerned. When you're concerned about the acceptance of others, your heart would be hardened when you're concerned about what everybody else feels and making them happy instead of doing what God wants. God, I want to make you happy. Because if I care too much about what people want me to do and neglect what God wants me to do, my heart will be hardened toward Him. You, you, you don't have a tender heart toward God when you don't make Him priority in your life. He's got to be number one. And number nine, capacity to love is diminished. And that's a given, of course. But when, when you don't have that capacity to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, when you don't have that capacity to love your neighbor as yourself, it's because your heart is hardened. That's a, the clear-cut sign. How do I know that my heart has been hardened? I don't love people and I don't love God. Dead giveaway. I have a hard heart toward God. So we all have these things that can ha- affect our life. If any of these that you, I went over, there's probably others as well, but if any of these that I went over are you, you might want to put a little star by that and say, okay, this is something I'm going to work on. It doesn't mean that you have a hardened heart now, but I'm telling you, if you let that continue, it's leading you to a hard heart. You want to know what the signs are. You want to know what causes it, and you want to, to make those changes. Let's look at the causes. What are the causes of a hardened heart? Well, one of the causes is the world. The world. We live in a world where people shoot each other, like we talked about this morning. We live in a world where there's uh, injustice. We live in a world where there's evil. We live in a world where it becomes harder and harder to live a pure life. We live in a world where, you know, uh, preteens can easily get on the Internet and see all kinds of garbage. I mean, we live in a world, it's much harder these days to live a holy life than it was before because the world's gotten sicker. And we, we, you know, some of these things are really bad. The world makes it difficult to have a tender heart. 
the world offers a lot of things that's going to harden your heart and get your, get your mind and heart all messed up. What's the second cause? Is preoccupation. We live in a time where we're preoccupied with so many other good things that we can neglect the most important thing, which is our heart, in relationship to God and others. Like, business is a good thing, but you can be given so much attention and energy to business that you neglect your heart for God and others. A relationship. You can give so much attention to a relationship that you're neglecting time with God. Have you ever done that? Like when you have that brand new boyfriend or brand new girlfriend and you get so consumed with them that you don't go to church anymore, you don't read your Bible like you used to, you know, and God gets neglected because of that relationship. A relationship that could have been really good, but you've allowed it to... uh, cause you to lose your priority. A hobby. You could be into a hobby so much that you don't have the energy and time to spend with God. Anything that draws your energy, time, affection, and attention away from God is a problem. And there's a lot of things in this world that can do that. So we get preoccupied with the wrong thing, and then before you know it, your heart is getting harder toward God, harder toward God, harder toward God. I'm not talking about Number one, the world. I'm not talking about the sinful th- things are out there. I'm talking about good things. A relationship with someone's a good thing. You know, a business, that's a good thing. I'm not talking about bad things. I'm saying worldly things can uh, harden your heart and good things can harden your heart. Because if good things don't leave you time with God. And number three is a similar one to preoccupation, but it's just the busyness that we go through in today's culture. You know, we're a busy culture. Life isn't as simple as it used to be. We have all these time savers, and somehow we have less time to do everything. You know, and I can't believe how many hours it takes just to drive somewhere you know, because of the traffic and this and that. But there's so many busy things going on that it can prevent you from spending time with God and your heart gets hardened. It doesn't mean that you're wanting your heart to get hardened but you're just so busy taking care of life. Right now, we have a six-month uh, child. And recently, I don't know, we had the baby sleeping through the night. He was doing really good. About two weeks ago, he's, he's now waking up in the middle of the night. And that just shoots your whole day off. You know, you know, no one was made to go to sleep at 11 and wake up at 2 for an hour or two to get a baby back to sleep and then go back to sleep and then get up and go to work. My body was not designed for that. He was up last night. If I fall asleep up here, if I get tired and I just lay down, the, it would just be like one of those 15-minute power naps, and you just wait patiently, I'll get back up. But um, see, we're not designed, I'm, I'm not designed for that. And, you know, these aren't like good things I'm involved in. It's not bad things. It's just the busyness of life. You know, having a job, having a baby in the home, all those different things that just take up so much time can actually harden your heart because you don't have time for God. So, God wants to soften your heart. In Ezekiel eleven nineteen, it says, I will give you one heart and a new spirit. I will take from you your, your heart of stone, that hardened heart. I will take from you your heart of stone and give you tender hearts of love for God. God wants to give you a tender heart. So, how do we allow God to soften our hearts? I'm going to give you six ways that you can... That Uh, If you do these things, it will help you to get a a tender heart toward God. You allow God to soften your heart. 
Uh, the word soften, it's, a, it's an um, acronym for the word soften. S is select. Select what's valuable and what's vulnerable. There's things that are valuable to your life. That's what you want to give your greatest attention to. One of those things is your heart. Your heart toward God, your heart toward people. You want to give attention to those things. What's going to help, help me have a healthy heart? Like reading your Bible, praying, spending time with God. What enhances that? Doing some sort of ministry to help people. What helps enhance your heart? There's other things that are vulnerable. They're not going to last. You give your attention to those things. You could be like the guy in Newport, Newport Beach. I just um, heard about this recently, but he writes a letter. He committed suicide. He said, I woke up. I had accomplished everything I ever wanted, and I had lost everything I ever really needed. Shot himself. Boom. Dead. I've accomplished everything I've ever wanted, basically only to find out that I lost everything I really needed. What's he saying? What is it to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? What he's saying is probably, I don't know more details in the note, but I'm wondering if his, you know, he has no relationship with his kids. I wonder if his wife left him. And, you know, he was accomplishing everything he wanted. And then meanwhile... He had it all except for all the people that he loved, didn't want anything to do with him because of who he was, his character, and how he treated them. I don't know exactly the details, but that's horrible. You know, he committed suicide because you can give your energy, your affection, your attention to the wrong things, things that aren't going to last. You know, you want to get, am I giving my energy to the worthwhile or to the worthless? Because it's one or the other. Sometimes it's not even wrong. It's just worthless. I want to make sure I'm giving my energy to the worthwhile. Paul stated, the Apostle Paul stated, a list of all these things he had accomplished. And then he says this, in this, this, this is the next verse after that. He's saying, I did this and this and this and this. Then he said, this is in Philippians 3, 7 and 8. Those things were important to me. But now I think they're worth nothing because of Christ. It's interesting. The things that you think are so important, after you meet Christ, all of a sudden, they're like, oh, okay, that's not so important anymore. But you, you thought, like, I would, I, to me, it was the most important things that I could ever imagine, you know, and then you lose it. He says, those things were important to me, but now I think they're worth nothing because of Christ. Not only those things, but I think that all things are worth nothing compared to the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He said, these are all the great things I accomplished before I met Christ. And now I consider them worthless compared to Christ. In fact, not just the things I accomplished, but everything you can imagine is worthless compared to Jesus Christ and knowing him. Because of him, I have lost all those things, and now I know they're worthless trash. I've heard people like, they live their life for certain things, like to win a gold medal and this and that. And they win it, and they're not happy. But it didn't give them the joy that they thought it would give them. You know, I thought if I was an Olympic champion, man, that would just be the greatest thing. They win it, and it was like, okay, that's over, that's done. You know, a year later, nobody even remembers who won. And you think, I've dedicated my whole life and worked so hard for this and why? And then they find Jesus, and they consider the gold medal worthless. It's like, man, I, I gave all that to this, and it was nothing. 
why didn't I know Jesus before? Now, I'm not saying if you work hard, it's not worthless, but if you're thinking that's going to make you happy, you're wrong. I'll tell you what, if you love God and you say, wow, if I, if I give this 100% and rise to the top, this can become a platform for good. And you use that achievement as a platform for good, as a platform to uh, go talk to kids in high school and help them turn their life around. And you use it as a platform to draw people to the Lord. Man, it becomes very significant. But in and of itself, it becomes worthless. Down the road, who cares? People won't even remember that you did it. The only, they would, the only way they would know is you'd have to tell them. Because people just don't really care or keep up with it. It was just excitement for the moment. And then you're really let down. Don't ever think that, don't ever think that achievements are going to make you important or happy. But if you use it as a, a platform for good, watch what can happen. Because you're doing it for God. Oh, and the word soften is openly admit a hard heart and ask God to soften it. Admit it to God. It's not like God's going to say, whoa, I didn't know that. He already knows. But there's something about you going to God and saying, confessing to him, God, my heart is hard. I don't have a tender heart. I don't love you the way I need to. I don't love people the way that I should. It starts there. You go to God. Confess it. He'll work on your heart. He'll start doing something about it. But when you start praying about it, watch what happens. In Psalms 139, it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. He's saying, God, search it. Know what I'm about. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. God, look at my heart. Please, if there's anything offensive to you, let me know. Clean it up. It's through prayer. If he didn't pray that, maybe God would have never answered that. Psalm 51.10, created me a new clean heart, O God, filled with clean thoughts and right desires. God, I need a heart. I need a clean heart filled with clean thoughts and right desires. Pray it. If your heart is hard, go to God. Talk to him about it. F on the word soften is forget. Forget about the things you have no control over. There are things that you've done in the past that disqualify you in your mind and heart for really being what God wants you to be. Because you feel like, because of what I've done, I'm not really good enough for God to do what he could do in my life. And I, I want to tell you this. You're exactly right. Because of what you've done, you're not good enough, and neither am I. We're never good enough. But isn't that the whole point of the gospel? Is I'm not good enough and you're not good enough? So God himself comes to earth as a man, Jesus Christ, taking the penalty of your and my sins, all the junk that we did that disqualifies us. He takes it upon himself. He dies as a sacrifice for our sins, forgiving us so that we can have a new life and a new start. So the whole point is God uses people like you and I for good. Not because we're all that, but because he's all that. If you wait till you're good enough, you're never going to be good enough. But if you say, in spite of my shortcomings, in spite of my flaws, in spite of the stupid things I've ever done, because he's forgiven me, he's willing to work in my life to, to do something good. If you're thinking, I'm not good enough, you're exactly right. Neither am I. But if you're thinking God's good enough, that changes everything. So you have to forget about you being good enough. You have to forget about all your shortcomings, and you have to put faith in God. God, 
I know that it's, I, I messed up. I know I'm not good enough. That's why I'm trusting you. And then you, in faith, you step out and you do what God wants you to do. And he'll bless you in spite of yourself. In Philippians 3, 13 and 14, it says, Brothers and sisters, I know I have not yet reached that goal, but there is one thing I always do, forgetting the past. Why would he say forgetting the past? Why would, is this so important to him? Because he's the guy that was going around to God's church, arresting the Christians, putting them in jail, and destroying the churches. Now, I can feel pretty bad about some things I've done, but I'll tell you this. I have never directly tried to destroy God's church. I've never directly tried to destroy God's kingdom. I've never gotten an army together and let's wipe out Christianity. That's what Paul was doing. That's why he said, I'm the worst of sinners. He was because he was saying, what could be worse than trying to destroy God's work on earth? He called himself the worst of sinners. So if anybody's disqualified as Paul, he has no business doing anything good. So how does he do it? How does he get through his past? He says, forgetting the past and straining toward what is ahead. In other words, if I look at the past, I'll give up because I'm a loser. Look at the horrible things I did. So he says, forgetting the past and straining toward what is ahead. I keep trying to reach the goal and get the prize for which God called me through Christ for the life above. He had to forget all the evil things he did, trying to destroy God's work on earth, trying to wipe out his church, trying to wipe out Christianity. He had to forget about that. And he had to say, now I'm looking at Jesus. I did these things. Now I'm looking at Jesus. And I'm saying, I'm running toward him. That's my goal. I'm going to serve him. And most of us are Christians today, not because of Thomas, not because of John. Most of us are Christians today because of Paul. Because he's the one that really got the gospel message out effectively outside of Israel, outside of the Jewish. He's the one that broke that ground and got the message out. So it ended up spreading to people that aren't Jewish. So that's a major thing. The worst guy reaches the most people. It's the opposite of what you would think. It doesn't make sense. Like you would think I would say, if there's one person I'm not going to use is you, look at all the damage you did. You're saved. I'm going to let you die and you go to heaven, but that's it. No, that's not what he did. He ended up doing more than anybody. T in the worst often is tune into a consistent time with God. If you want to have a soft heart, you can't do it apart from God. So you have to have that consistent daily time with God. Make it a habit to just pray and read your Bible and talk to God and allow Him to work in you. You say, but Jimmy, you don't understand. I'm a drifter. (laughs) I'm the guy that you said at the beginning of the message that doesn't have discipline. I read my Bible for the first two weeks, and then I stop. And I know it's hard. Some people have more discipline than others. But I encourage you to try to make it a a habit. And here's what happens. You say a goal. I'm going to read the Bible every day. And then you miss a day, and then you blew it, so why bother? And you can't do that. All you have to do is start the next day. Start back. If you had read the Bible 20 days last year, And this year, your goal is anytime I miss, I'm just going to start back the next day. And over the year, you read the Bible 50 times this year. That's about once a week. You went from 20 times last year to 50 times this year. That's, you know, 150% improvement, right? 
you know, that's a big step forward. So try to make it a habit. Don't give up on the habit. If you stop, don't worry if you miss a day. Just start back the next day. Don't guilt yourself. Don't guilt yourself like, oh, I blew it. No. Guilt is what's going to cause the problems in your life. What you do is you set a goal, I'm going to read the Bible every day. Any day you miss, you missed it that day. Read it the next. Don't allow guilt to be a motivating factor in your life. But it does need to be something regular. I think of a weightlifter or bodybuilder might be better. But those bodybuilders, they don't get huge by lifting weights one day a week, for example. That's not what happened. They have to be consistent. They have to do it more than that. And just think of that. You're trying to add consistency. But uh, they also don't get huge overnight. They get huge consistent with consistency over a long period of time. So try to be a spiritual bodybuilder. You know, you want to get spiritually strong. I don't know if a bodybuilder is really strong, but they look strong. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Would you like to be thoroughly equipped for every good work? I would. For every good work, thoroughly equipped? It says you get that from God's Word. So, man, I want to read the Bible every day. I want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When you're married and you're separated from one another for a significant amount of time, it affects your intimacy. I mentioned this earlier. It's the same exact thing with God. Your intimacy with God isn't going to be the same if you don't spend time with Him. So do everything you can to make it a habit. E is in this the help of others. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so God can heal you. When a believing person prays, great things happen. So God, when you confess your sins to somebody else, can bring healing in your life. I don't think that this means that you just confess your sins to everybody. But you find the people in your life that can bring healing to you. There are certain people that when you open up to them, they support you, they encourage you, they give you help. That will prevent you from having a hardened heart. And the last one in is never underestimate the cost of spiritual intimacy. I wish I could say it's easy. You know, it's easy. There's no cost involved. But if you have a tender heart, you're going to get hurt. People are going to hurt you. And you're going to feel it because you love people. Because you love God, because you love people, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it. And there's a cost. It could cost somebody to give up a job that they have that doesn't allow them to have time with God properly. Or it could cause them to give up something else that's, that's important to them. You know, it could cause you to give up a hobby that you love doing. But if it prevents you from having your values in order and time with God, it can cost you. But it's worth the cost. There's nothing that's going to be more valuable than having a heart that's right with God and a heart that's loving people as well. So with this, I hope that the things you've heard today, you look at these things and do everything you can to make whatever changes in your life you have to make to have a heart that's tender toward God and toward others. That's what the Christian life is. That's what's going to make life great. With that, let's pray. God, we want to thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you, God, for those in here who have soft, tender hearts that love you with all their heart and love others. God, may today's message be an encouragement to them. For those in here that have a hardened heart, I pray that today would be a significant day in their life, that you would declare war on that hard heart. 
that they would do something in their life to make a change. God, help us to identify what's valuable and to admit to you that we need a new heart. Thank you, God, that you're interested in us and you want to change our heart, that you love us not for what we do, but for who we are. We're thankful for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.